Hi. Welcome to the CGB Sports Show podcast. Jacob Truba, he's no longer a Winnipeg Jet. Off to the Big Apple. Leah Hextall gives her thoughts on whether the Jets got enough of a return and what this means for the rest of their offseason. Plus, my week one CFL recap on the podcast. Leah, when we were planning today, we thought we'd talk about Eric Carlson, maybe what this would do to the defenseman market. And then the Jets decided to trade Jacob Truba right before the start of the show. Initial reaction to the trade to New York for Neil Pionk and a first round pick that was originally theirs to begin with. My initial reaction to it, Christian, is the fact that I think people have to immediately understand that this trade is not about the player that they got in return. We are not going to sit here and dissect who Neil Pionk is because we don't know who he is. He's a older NCAA UFA signing that has some offensive upside that hasn't played a lot of game. There's also a great deal of risk to his game. That's what I can tell you. He's about 24, 25 years of age. But this isn't about a player that they traded Jacob Truba for to come in and step into the lineup in Jacob Truba's role. Even Kevin Shoveldayoff said that in his conference call tonight after the trade. And this trade isn't even about the first-round pick that they acquired that, as you mentioned, was originally theirs, which they lost in the Kevin Hayes deal. Because the chances are they could likely flip that. Because no matter who they pick, 20th overall or Neil Pionk, that is not going to help them win a Stanley Cup. The Winnipeg Jets did not get better today. What they did do today in this moment is get some cap space. And what people have to realize is we are looking at it, even though Truba wasn't in talks of perhaps a long-term extension, he was an RFA, which you're going to have to sign for one year, and he would have likely gone to arbitration, which means we're looking at anywhere from 5 to $7.5 million that Kevin Shoveldayoff now has in his pocket. And what that does, Christian, is it opens up the conversation for perhaps bringing back Brandon Tanev, Ben Sherratt, and even perhaps being back in that conversation for Tyler Myers. That is what this deal did tonight. So people have to move on from what seems to be an underwhelming trade and realize what the Jets got was not about the acquisition. It was about them acquiring cap space because in this world that they have right now, with the cap likely not going to $83 million where it was projected, The Jets need this cap space in order to make themselves better. And they may have just done that with what they did for Jacob Truba tonight. A situation where something is better than nothing because they knew Truba was going to be gone after next season. We heard that from Chevy today saying it was clear he was not going to sign a long-term deal here. So the Jets were not in a position of leverage at all in this situation. Teams knew that. So the Rangers get a guy that they st- still now need to sign, but you're right. We now look at who the Jets still need to sign. They have right now about $58 million committed to 14 players. They still have some money to work with, but after, and we've talked about this before, Connor and Line, there's not a lot of money left over. Should they be wanting to bring back Ben Sherratt and or Tyler Myers? I think they need to move on from Tyler Myers. I'm just going to say that. And that has nothing to do with a hit against the player, but the deal and the term more so that Tyler Myers could collect in free agency. I don't think the Jets want to get to an extended contract with him due to his age. 
and the fact that even though Tyler Myers had a very strong year this year, we know how this is going to progress. I would look at the smaller pieces in the Ben Shiraz of the world and the Brown and Tanis. I understand that people are sitting here going, well, we need to beef up that right side. But the fact of the matter is, is that you still have Bufflin, you still have Pullman, you still have Samuniku. Yes, he's left-handed, but he can play on that right side. I think they can, you know, probably get along. And it's the little pieces to the puzzle that are going to help them continue to win. And, I, and I'm just going to say this note because I did. You mentioned New York Rangers and Jacob Truba. I did have a chance tonight to talk to Larry Brooks, who works for the New York Post. Uh, you'll know Larry Brooks because he used to get into it with John Tortorella. Guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Yeah, there you go. And so he told me tonight that the New York Rangers, first of all, are very happy with this acquisition. They wanted Truba. And more importantly, they will sign him. So I have a feeling that we're going to hear of a deal very shortly and a long-term deal with Truba and the New York Rangers. And they expect him to be in their top pairing at the very least in their second pairing. So they're very excited about in New York, which to your point, Christian, just talks to the point about, you know, in this game, if you're a general manager, it's about what you can control. And there's so many things out of your control. But the one thing that the Jets knew is, to your point, Christian, they were not going to sign this extension with Jacob Truba. He was not here to stay. I think we've known that for years. The two sides just couldn't get on the same page here in Winnipeg. So they did what was best for them in this moment. And, you know, I don't. when I saw the trade, I was just like, oh, I don't know about this. But the more and more I look at it, to me, I feel that what the Jets did is they took a, a basically a situation where they had no control with Jacob Truba, did what they could do to control it, to get that cap space. And I do believe that now they're going to be able to utilize that to pick up some pieces besides the Connor and Line A deals that they didn't think they were going to have an opportunity to do if Truba was in the lineup. So we'll have to wait and see how this works out. And don't forget, they could flip that first round pick for something as well. Definitely not an ideal situation to end up in, but what could you do? Their hands were kind of tied. Now, the NHL draft is Friday. Do we expect the Jets to make any more deals before that first round number 20 comes up on the clock? You know what? I'll tell you this, Christian. I don't know in my entire career, and I've been doing this for a while, if I've seen an offseason like this. Um, Doug Wilson today spoke about it when he was talking about the Eric Carlson deal and what a deal and what a coup for Doug Wilson that was. We'll see what happens in San Jose as they have some forwards that they're likely going to have to let go of now. But the fact is he said that he's never seen so much chatter amongst general managers at this time of year in his entire career. There is so much activity going on right now. I think there's so many teams looking to make moves. So many teams have cap space. So many people are willing to dance, which is usually not the case. So I truly believe that this could be one of the most entertaining drafts and off seasons that we've ever seen probably in the last 15 years. And a lot of that has to do, and not enough is being spoke to about this. We're seeing, seeing more and more people come out today. That cap that Gary Bettman said was going to be at $83 million back in December, which is a $3.5 million increase, they're really believing that that's not going to be the case. So teams like the Jets, who were already in a cap crunch, that's why they need that you know, that space and that room that they got from an acquisition like Jacob Truba tonight. So I think we're going to see a ton of activity in the next week and going into that July 1st deadline. Well, let's talk about Eric Carlson for a moment. Eight years, $11.5 million contract. Is that a good contract for the Sharks? 
Uh, it's a great contract for Eric Carlson, and I'll tell you why. One big reason is if you look how this deal is done, it is all about the signing bonuses. So $92 million altogether in that eight-year extension. And when you look at the first year of it, he's got $10 million in signing bonuses, and his salary is only $2 million. We saw this with John Tavares. We also saw this with Steven Stamkos. Elite players right now are getting their contracts with the majority of it being in bonuses because the bonuses are guaranteed to the player. They are not susceptible to the buyout. They are also proof positive for if the NHL goes into a lockout, the players still get their signing bonuses. So this is why you're seeing these contracts being built the way they are. So I look at this and I think Eric Carlson came out with a very, very good deal in San Jose. That is a long-term contract. And now when you look at that they're going to have to take a look and see, can they keep their captain Joe Pavelski now? Can they keep their breakout score on Timo Meyer or Joe Thornton for that matter? What will they do with these forwards? So, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a good deal for San Jose, but I'll tell you what, Eric, Eric Carlson is one of the best defensemen in the game. And, uh, you know, I don't think Doug Wilson does anything that's not going to be good for him. Lee, I'm going to play Raptors highlights after I let you go, but just your thoughts. You've covered parades before. Was what you saw today unlike anything you've ever seen before? Unbelievable. I, I can't even believe it, Christian, because I covered the 2013 World Series Championship Parade in Boston. There were people 20 deep on each side, but it was nothing like I saw in Toronto. That being said, Toronto's population is immense, but what a day, what a great moment for Toronto and the Toronto Raptors. And I, I still can't believe that, you know, Canada isn't the owner of the Stanley Cup, but we're the owner of the NBA Finals trophy. But there you go. Not sure when the Raptors came into the league 25 years ago, we'd be saying that at any point in time that the Raptors would win a, a title before any team in Canada would win the Stanley Cup again. But here we are. Here we are. Were you even born then? That's my question. Yes. Were you? Uh, were you even... <laughs> I was alive for the Jays World Series, okay? Okay, okay. Sorry, pardon me. I was alive for both of them. So <laughs> I was not talk. I was not talking yet. I was not walking yet, but I was alive for yeah, the two Jays yeah. World Series. Yes, I know I'm young. All right. Oh, there you go. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Leah. We'll talk to you Friday. All right. Sounds good. So last year on Mondays during the NFL season, I would recap the weekend action quickly and succinctly and not so seriously over top of classic music from NFL primetime. Then I did it for the Alliance of American Football for a week and then they folded. So should I do it again for the CFL? I think you know the answer. I know what happened Thursday, but starting with the season opener in Hamilton between the Riders and Ticats. Saskatchewan quarterback Zach Galero scrambles, slides, pegged in the head. Terrible play. 25-yard penalty. Simone Lawrence Galero is injured. It's Cody Fajardo time. Early 7-0 lead for the Riders, and he was not great. But he had Saskatchewan in the lead in the third when Frankie Williams took a John Ryan punt 68 yards to the house. 17-13 Hamilton. So now it's up to Fajardo. Just kidding. He got hurt, too. It's up to... uh, Isaac Harker to lead the comeback? Guess what? He didn't. Tabby's went ugly. Riders don't have a quarterback. In Edmonton, the Eskimos hosting the Tire Fire Alouettes. Should be a blowout, right? Well, it was a bit of a middling, uneventful game for three quarters. Early in the fourth, the home side had a 25-8 lead. This will be... This is in the books. No! Chaos ensues. 
Vernon Adams at quarterback. Touchdown drive. Then a touchdown drive. Then a 52-yard field goal. We are tied with two minutes left. What is happening? Are the Eskimos going to blow? No, they got a touchdown, so Edmonton holds on. Breathe, people. To Calgary and a Grey Cup rematch. Ottawa at the Stampeders. Another game where the home team is heavily favored. And early on, everything went according to plan. Calgary rolling to an 18-6 lead. But hold on. Just 21-17 at the half. 28-21 after three. And yet, despite throwing four interceptions, Dom Davis, the ball in his hands. Team down by three. Leads his team to victory. Run for the winning TD. A stunner for the Red Blacks. Calgary, they're not invincible. They're invincible. And now to BC, where the Blue Bombers began their season with high hopes and expectations. And with a 14-6 lead late in the second, things look good. <laughs> Wait, there goes Brandon Rutley, 108-yard kickoff TD. Oh, well. Late field goal gives the Lions a slim halftime lead. Fireworks continued in the third. Nichols to Wolitarski for the lead. Riley right back down the field up with the Lions in front. But the turning point, extra point blocked, returned for two. Tie game. Lions would not score again. Medlock field goal. Strevler TD sneak. Defense locks things down. Bombers win their opener. The CFL. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?